I think Evelyn's preaching today. Well, in my early 20s, I remember going into Woolworths one day, and as I was walking through Woolworths, I began to hear screaming. There was a two-year-old girl on the ground in one of the aisles, screaming out, I want a lollipop mummy. I want a lollipop. I looked at the mum. I looked at the mum, and I could see that she was red like a tomato. She was extremely embarrassed. She could tell that people were looking at her. And so what did she end up doing? She gave her little one a lollipop. And that little one was as happy as Larry. I remember going away from Woolworths that day thinking, I will never do that. I will never do that. Well, last month I was walking through Big W. It was about the middle of the day. Evelyn was about to go to sleep. It was around her bedtime. And she started screaming in the middle of Big W. It was around a 20 hour season. And I remember walking through. And to calm her down, I picked up a squishy ball. They're like those $2 squishy balls that have like these bits of um, plastic that come off it and you can scratch it. And so I got her starting to poke it. I got her to poke that ball. She calmed down. And so I put it back after she calmed down. Guess what happened? She started screaming again to the point where I took that ball and purchased it. And going away from Woolworths, I asked this question. Would it be better for me to withdraw my blessing in that moment? Should I have given Evelyn that toy? Well, as we'll see in Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 to 13, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to take away our blessings, physical blessings. And this is true for our God. Sometimes he takes away our stuff, our pubs, our sports, our social lives, in order to reveal the true affections of our heart. And before we unpack this truth further in Hosea chapter 2, I would like to give you a quick recap of Hosea 1. In Hosea 1, God sent the prophet of Israel, Hosea, to warn Israel of their sin, which is a serious and disgusting breach in a love relationship. Sin in Hosea is basically adultery. In fact, Hosea had to embody the warning. He had to marry a sexually immoral woman called Goma, and this relationship symbolized the relationship between God and Israel. Let me illustrate. Hosea was a physical embodiment of Israel, sorry, of God, and Goma was a physical embodiment of Israel. Hosea was a righteous man, Goma was an unrighteous wife. And it did not stop there. Hosea had to also have three children of shame with Gomer to further warn of her, Israel's coming judgment. God wanted to shake the house of Israel out of her disgrace. God desired them, Israel, to worship him. And now with this longing longing in view, God's warning to Israel now intensifies in Hosea chapter 2. God outlines how his bride has breached her relationship with him. Israel had pursued other lovers, we discover. We see this in Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. If you have your Bible, let's open up together and I'll read through this this part of the passage again. Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. Rebuke your mother, 
rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strike her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I'll make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. God is talking to the children of Israel and he wants them to rebuke their mother, Israel. To help you understand this point, imagine that a husband and wife are going through a terrible divorce. Imagine it. Due to the intensity of the relationship, the wife can no longer hear the husband's voice. She avoids being with him in the same room. She feels ill when she hears his name. And to communicate to his wife, the husband then says to his children, their children, come over here. I have a message for your mother. But what is this message that God is passing on through the children of Israel? Well, here's the message. The message that Israel is no longer his wife. This is not a divorce announcement. It is a final warning that God has towards Israel. Israel had become, as I've already mentioned, a promiscuous wife who flirted on the street corners with foreign gods. She was then taking these gods into her very home, After each sexual encounter, she then began to produce children, children of disgrace. It's meant to make us cringe, this image. The pagan fertility gods of the lands that surrounded Israel had become their very lovers. She announced that all her comforts, Israel announced that all her comforts had flowed from these pagan gods. The food, the water, the wool, the linen, olive oil and alcohol. And so... God felt betrayed. And it's no surprise that God, the true lover and provider of Israel, was hurt. He had become a rejected husband. And if Israel did not turn back to God, the fertile lands, the lands overflowing with milk and honey, would be turned into a barren desert. Israel would become a wandering nation again, starving and thirsting in the wilderness without little luxuries, without a home. And Baal, the pagan god of rain and fertility, would be shown for what he is. No more than a piece of timber carved out by human hands. It is clear, God, the jealous husband, does not really want, or doesn't want to share his wife. God wants Israel's full devotion. And so that's the first point. God wants Israel's full devotion. And since we are the bride of Christ in the New Testament context, because we have union with Christ, as we learned about a few weeks back, 
This truth is also relevant for us. God longs for our full devotion. He longs for our affection. But while we do not worship the Canaanite gods of fertility and rain, there are still gods in our culture that are just like Baal. One of these modern gods is called comfort. Comfort is actually everywhere. And sadly, many Christians today have combined comfort with Christ. This comfort-driven gospel has a few key flavors. It's non-confrontational. It has little challenge. It keeps Christ as the world's best-kept secret. It's a lifestyle that looks no different to your neighbors. It does not lead to transformation. It requires little sacrifice and commitment. Comfortable Christianity wants church to be primarily a place of entertainment, a place where the preacher offers self-help advice, and a place that has epic mud cake after every single service, and also a good coffee. But while God does offer some comforts, the reality is that following Jesus is meant to be incredibly hard at times. Jesus himself says, deny yourself. Take up your cross of sacrifice. Expect persecution from the world. Be willing to give up material items. Be crucified with Christ, as Paul says. In other words, if we're really living for Christ, we must expect pain. And so if you want to crush the God of comfort, I encourage you to ask questions like this. Why do I come to church? If your primary answer is not to worship God, and I mean primary, of course the people of God are important. We love to to gather together as God's people. We are a family. But the primary means of us meeting together is actually to worship the living God together. And so if your primary answer is not to worship God, I encourage you to examine yourself. God desires your full devotion. He wants to be your greatest affection. He wants you to pursue him. He doesn't want to share you with other gods. And so I encourage you to pursue God-centered worship. Let us now turn to Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. Here we see that God pursues his lover, the house of Israel, in a really strange way. Let me read. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I'll go back to my husband at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Therefore, I'll take away my grain when it ripens, my new wine when it is ready. I'll take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I'll expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I'll stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals." I'll ruin her vines and her fig trees when she said were her pay for lovers. I'll make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. 
I'll punish her for the day she burned incense to the bowels. She decked herself with rings and jewellery and went away after her lovers. But me she forgot, declares the Lord. God pursues his wife, Israel, by withdrawing his presence. He says, I will a lot, doesn't he, in that passage? He says, I will block, I will take away, I will expose, I will stop, I will ruin, I will punish. While this might seem strange, God sometimes blesses his people by removing their comforts, by revealing their shame, and by exposing their idols, their false gods. And in this passage, God is destroying the connection between worshipping Baal and the rewards that flowed from this false worship. This will remind Israel that her blessings do not come from Baal, really. They come from God. God alone. God is the only provider and lover. Israel should realise that God, the perfect spouse, is actually the blessing. But there's a devastating truth. Let me read verse 7 again. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I'll go back to my husband at first, for then I was better off than now. Better off than now. Tim Chester, who's written a commentary on Hosea, says, At first sight, this might look like Israel is ready to return to God. It looks like she's doing just what God pleased with her, asked her to do, to put away her adultery and return to him. But she does not want God. She just wants his stuff. All she wanted was worldly treasures. A restaurant meal every night, a pair of AirPods and Yeezys, a yearly ticket to the Bahamas and full access to Fox Sports. If Baal were her best bet for getting prosperity, she would follow Baal. If God were her best bet for getting blessed, she would follow God. And so my second point is, stuff became the reason for Israel's worship, not God. Stuff became the reason for Israel's worship. And sadly, this problem is a growing force in the modern church. I was listening to a sermon from a leading minister, pastor in the global church, from the more of a charismatic tradition. And this pastor was saying, in effect, prosperity must follow the gospel. Must is the key word there. Prosperity must follow the gospel. They shout, Receive the gospel by faith and the health and wealth will indeed be yours. If you desire to be pregnant, righteously give. If you want to overcome poverty, righteously pray. If you want to conquer disease, righteously receive. If you live by faith, God will indeed give you the things that you desire. Now, this gospel sounds pretty attractive. It's basically saying, if I worship God with all my heart, he's going to give me money, health. It's pretty, pretty um, attractive, I think. But rather than drawing people to the blessing of simply knowing God and enjoying him as father, these ministers fiddle with the heart, affections, 
of the most vulnerable and promise them heavenly rewards ahead of the world to come. But what happens when these blessings do not come as promised? Well, for many of us, our faith can be hurt. And one of, at Bible college, one of my friends shared with me how his sister was walking away from faith. When she turned to faith in Christ, she experienced great emotional prosperity. But she was going through a, a friendship that was being torn apart. Like she was having a broken friendship. She was experiencing a broken friendship. Sorry. And in that time, as she was experiencing the pain of her friendship breaking down, she felt like God was absent, absent from her. She felt like God was far away. And because she felt like God was far away, her faith began to vanish, disappear. It vanished so much that she turned to other places for comfort. On another occasion, a friend of mine attended a prayer and healing event in Port Macquarie. The preacher asked for people to come forward for miraculous healings. My friend, a lady who was struggling to fall pregnant, walked forward. The man promised her that she would fall pregnant in a year's time if she had enough faith in God. Several years later, she's still struggling, struggling to fall pregnant. Her faith was tested. She wondered if God was real because God didn't give her the stuff that she desired even though it was promised. Thankfully, she now knows that that man was a false teacher. She's growing in her faith more than ever now. And so we must be careful that getting staff does not become the reason for our worship. We must worship God because our relationship with him, our lover, is the ultimate blessing, okay? Our relationship with God is the ultimate blessing. While God is indeed very generous and often provides for our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, we must remember that he does not always give us what, he, what we want. In fact, for our good, for our good, he often withdraws his blessings to ensure that we have the right focus. Hands up if you've ever read Job. Anyone read Job here? That is a classic example of this message in a nutshell. Job is a righteous man. He has all the treasures that you could think of. However, all of his treasures were stripped away. All his treasures were stripped away to reveal if he had true faith. Was he worshiping God for God's stuff, or was he worshiping God for the fact that God is God? And by the end of Job, we find out the answer. Even though he's raging at God and asking, "Why God have you taken everything away from me?" He realizes, God, you are the blessing. You love me, Lord. A relationship with you is better than anything else. I encourage you, if you want, over the next week to read through Job. It's a great journey, a painful journey, but it reveals this great truth. God is the greatest blessing. He's our ultimate satisfaction. And St. Augustine got this so right when he said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. God himself is the greatest blessing 
And friends, we can enjoy this blessing by having faith in Christ Jesus. And Jesus entered into our chaos. He died for us to draw us close to God, our Father. And now by faith in Christ, we're called children of the Father and can enjoy this intimacy. God is the greatest blessing we can enjoy in Christ. And so if you're still trying to work out who God is, who Christ is, I want to encourage you to keep on reflecting upon this truth that God is the greatest blessing. Consider Christ. He's the way to enjoy God. Okay? He died for your sin to bring you close to God, which is the greatest news. God himself is the greatest blessing. Amen. All right. We're going to reflect upon a, a song now. It, talks, it has a lot of talk about sin, but it also highlights how awesome our God is because he's revealed Christ to us, our Saviour and King.